The Weekly Dish podcast is presented by Common Ground Minnesota. Food and farming conversations from Minnesota women in agriculture. Learn more at commongroundminnesota.com or follow them on Instagram at commongroundminn. Hey everybody, it's Steph March for Common Ground Minnesota, and I love talking about women in agriculture. The women of Common Ground Minnesota are volunteers who are volu- you know, taking their time to chat with you about what it's like to live on a farm and grow food in Minnesota. Here's some really great news about this group. They have just launched a newsletter that you can basically sign up for at commongroundminnesota.com, and you get the latest you know, events, giveaways, delicious recipes, all sorts of great stories from the farm. And I got to tell you, it's just a really cool thing to get into your inbox every month. And it's it's kind of an, a way in. If you're wondering, like, I don't know what I'm going to ask when I go to Common Ground, Minnesota. Well, this is just an introduction and a way to get you guys to meet the farmers at Common Ground, Minnesota. The Common Ground Minnesota volunteers, remember, their goal is to be a resource for your food and farming questions. Don't forget, check them out on Instagram at Common Ground, M-I-N-N, CommonGroundMinnesota.com. I'm Norman with the My Talk Chicks, and we will eat on, eat on the weekly dish. I'm Stephanie Hansen. I'm Stephanie Marsh. Oh, and we are here with Hope, our producer. And Hope, did you get my text I sent you? Oh my gosh. So I think I left my phone in my car. Oh, okay. Because so, I'm like, I don't know where my phone is. And I never send you texts. Exactly. I was like, no one's going to text or call me during the show. Like, no one does. It'll be fine. Okay. I hope well. it wasn't too important. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's hilarious. Okay. And here's all it was. And I'll just do it instead. So, I'll, just, I'll just talk text. Talk I came text. in and I said to Steph, oh, I'm feeling kind of feeling kind of nostalgic today. Look out. That's usually a sheer sign <laughs> That's a of tears. a red flag for me. <laughs> That's like every show. It kind of is, especially during the pandemic. Yes. But So I'm driving in and it's feeling like this beautiful Saturday and I'm thinking about like I'm going to go for a walk and... Spring is right around the corner, and they played, It's a cruel, cruel summer, leaving me. And I was like, that is like the song of summer from when I was like in college, right? Yeah. So I was going to play a little bit of that because I was thinking people waking up might be feeling like a summery, nice spring vibe. Cruel summer? <laughs> well, it's just the song. It's not the word. We should be playing the Daft Punk uh, up all night to get fun or something since t- to honor them. That was like the song of summer. It was. When, they, when it came out. And but, they broke up, and I'm sad about it. Yeah, that's the mom of young, influential, cool kids. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Because I was like, Daft who? Yeah, what? I, the guys I listened with the helmets? To, yeah, I listened to Daft Punk because of Jake, for sure. 100,000%. I don't, and not that they're not worthy. No, they're very worthy. I wouldn't have... Let me leave it this way. I would not have found them without him. And I listen to them a lot because they have such a cool, easy vibe, I guess. I like I guess it. I like a vibe. You know, that's how I go. I like a vibe. You're a vibe in and of itself. You're I, the verb. Ah, you are a vibe. vibe. <laughs> So speaking of that, okay, well, we have some news that we wanted to kind of talk about this at the front of the show because it was sort of it kind of came out yesterday late uh, in the afternoon. And if you were out at all, you know, sort of borrowing some of the sunshine and being out in the world, 
the news is that Butcher and the Boar is coming back to Minneapolis under new ownership. Now, <laughs> here's where it gets a little sticky. Um, it was announced yesterday, and this is important because, and of course, you know I like to be right, and I like to be first, and I like to win. All of the things. You know, I like to win, you guys, and I know that you love me for it. But listen, I the thing about it is is that it's a really complicated situation, and we all had an embargoed press release, and I'll tell you what that means. That's when... Um, a press release is given to all the press outlets. This is a little inside baseball, but it's important. Um, and you basically can't say anything until three o'clock. It's an agreement. It's a trust. And so we all knew that it was coming and we all agreed not to release the news until 3 p.m. Um, but I got a call in the middle of the day. The news was that Jester Concepts was buying uh, Butcher and the Boar's name. They've bought it, that they are going to reopen it. And they're going to, you know, do it justice because they loved the restaurant. They thought it was a great, you know, American craft uh, restaurant. And they and, and, you know, Brent Frederick was like a guy who said, I don't want it to close it. Like, I wish we could have it back. So the good news is, is that he is looking for a spot to open the restaurant as Butcher and the Boar. And he said it could be somewhere, you know, northeast. It could be somewhere in Lowry Hill, quote unquote, if everybody knows what or that is. No, not P.S. Steak, um, Birch Steak. steak. Um but so in the middle of the day, I got a phone call from Cam Tellaby of uh, Cascade, which is Crave and everybody else. And he called me to tell me that he'd heard that there was a big pending announcement and that it was incorrect because he actually owns the Butcher and Boar space and that he actually plans to launch Butcher and the Boar himself. So he said in his mind that it was he uh, he had a deal with the landlord and the uh, bank because of the bankruptcy that former owner Doug Van Winkle had gone through, that he had it had all been collateralized and that he was now in, you know, made a deal to do to take over this property. So the question is, who owns the long rib and the Brussels sprouts? These are the most important parts to us, the eaters. Who owns the long rib? <laughs> Who owns the Brussels sprouts and the sausages? And you have to remember, there's here's a couple of factors that are at play. One, there is also a butcher in the boar in South Carolina that is owned still and operated as butcher in the boar by Doug Van Winkle, the former owner. Two, uh, there is a line of retail sausages that are you can find in your London Byerleys or wherever you shop. And those are also a different piece of this whole puzzle. And then three, it's it's really going to have to come down to these legal matters of who owns, you know, what's in the name and what does it mean? And, and what is the restaurant? Is the restaurant the space? Is the restaurant the long rib and the Brussels sprouts? Right. Is the restaurant is the name the and the logo? Because, like, does it mean that, like, uh, you know, Cam and those guys will keep the space and just open the doors as it is and then have to call it, like, what do they say, Chopper and the Wild Hog or something like that? You know, instead of butchering the board, maybe that's a really good name, Stephanie. I, I didn't make that. Somebody on my Facebook threw that okay, or on the Twitter. I'm threw like that Chopper out. and the Wild Hog. Yeah. I'd go there. I know, right? Or just like kind of like yeah, the Wild Hog. It could just be that butcher and, and pigs. Yeah. Oh, you can't use butcher probably, but like you know, you have to do. But there's a chance that they, so we could have. Now this is the quandary and the weirdness of it all. We could have a moment where we have two restaurants that are sort of like that same entity and then still have the original pattern in South Carolina. So those all things could be working in America at the same time and a retail line of sausages that have maybe nothing to do with anything anymore. Which is interesting. So all of this was rolling. This was a big drama filled thing. And um, all of this was rolling. And I wanted to, you know, writing it out, I wanted to make sure that I gave right due to all the situations that were happening. But really what I wanted to do was write about 
um, the fact that I really think that anything that happens needs to be an homage to the opening chef, of course, Jack Rebel, our friend, who is been battling cancer for, you know, I think like almost two years now, valiantly and with the gusto that he is, you know, known for. And um, he's in a bad spot right now. He's in a tough spot. So we're sending all of our love and prayers to him. And we are hoping that if anything, if we celebrate anything about the Butcher and the Boar, it's the jackness of Butcher and Boar that we really should be celebrating because he created that space and that memory and that that menu and everything else with Tim Rooney, the late Tim Rooney, who was also already passed. And if there's any honoring of that name, honestly, it needs to be with a nod to Jack. And you're going to make it. I think so. Um, I, yeah, I think so. Um, so Jack has been, he has pancreatic cancer Mm -hmm. and, um, he wrote a really poignant essay, I guess on his Facebook page yesterday, just Just talking about how he felt like he was kind of at the final stages of his battle and, how he's tried so hard and talked about his lovely wife, Kat. And um, right before he was diagnosed, and in fact, he was having some stomach issues when he came to my house. And he came over for dinner and I had made pea soup. Yeah. And why I made pea soup, I really have no why idea. Not? I don't think, I don't know there's anything wrong with I that. I just like, when he came over, I was like, wow, I'm making like one of my favorite chefs pea soup. But yeah, I made it in the instant pot. He came over with his wife. We had our, another couple over when we had dinner parties in the day. And we sat and we had like just the best time. And I laughed about that afterwards with him. I'm like, well, yeah, it was probably weird that I served you pea soup. He was like, I love pea soup. Pea soup is my favorite. He goes, anytime somebody cooks for you, yeah. like it's just the greatest. Yeah. So I thought about him this morning and I wrote a little piece and put the pea soup recipe on my website. Good. Just to say, and and this is the weird thing about cancer and, and dying too. You want to make sure that you tell the people how important they were to you when they're alive. And we just want him to take this time and know that he was important to us. He was more, you guys, I, I can't, I can't overstate the impact that he had on that. He has had on the industry. And I will tell you the, just for the sake of, I got many, many texts yesterday from chefs saying, did you see Jack's post? I so. just love the rugged kid from St. Paul. Oh, and that's really, you know, it. that brought back the Lexington mm-hmm. that, um, had the great wings at um, halftime rack that had the patty burger that came in here and talked about Irish food in a way I'd never heard Irish food talked about before. Do you remember that day yep. with the Cole cannon? Yeah. Um, so yeah, for chef Jack and certainly for his wife, Kat and for his family and all those that have loved him, including all of us, our friends mm-hmm. when it's time, it's time. Yeah. Well, and just love, just remember to share the love, love, right. peace. Yeah. Peace. Peace. We'll take a quick break. Hello, dishers. Are you worried about selling your home because you don't know where you'll go once your home sells? Are you waiting to sell until there are more homes on the market? I'm Stephanie Hansen, and I thought about these things when we sold our town home last fall and bought a single-family home in Golden Valley. I worked with Carrie and Sue from Lakes Area Realty because I knew where I wanted to live, and I needed an experienced realtor that had a large network to find the houses that weren't listed to the public yet. No matter where you want to be, homes are selling so fast, you really need agents that are plugged into the market. And Carrie and Sue have a wide network that helps them find you a house that sometimes isn't even on the market yet. We were the first people in the house we ended up buying, and we made the first offer because Carrie and Sue were on 
on it. One of the things I loved about working with them was they came into our townhome and told us what to paint, whether or not we needed to replace our appliances, what furniture to stage. And when the open houses came, they brought flowers and a fruit bowl. And it was just those little touches that make your home feel really cared about and ready for the next buyer. Ask Carrie and Sue for the hot dish special they are offering only to Weekly Dish listeners. You know we won't steer you wrong. I use Carrie and Sue, and I hope you do too if you're in the market to buy and sell a home. Call Carrie and Sue at CarrieandSue.com at Lakes Area Realty. Leave my heart open. Okay. Woo. This is going to be an interesting folks uh, show today, folks. We and here's people. why. So... I am feeling we're about a year on this pandemic and I keep thinking about like all the things we've gained because there's a lot of things we've gained. A lot of me time, a lot of me time. My husband actually, I was alone for five days this week and I couldn't have been happier. My husband was gone for three days before he even called me. Let's just put it that way. That is very unheard of. (laughs) And I was thinking about all the traveling I've done and the places I've been and then I was, uh, I watched an episode of Stanley Tucci's Italy. Have you watched this on uh, CNN? No. Okay. As a it's person, on CNN? Yes, Like, it's it like is. a show? Yes. Okay, I am not like a big, I've never been a cable news watcher, so like, I don't even, I didn't even realize that they had like shows. Well, like, they're kind of in the same vein as like, I mean, that's where. I guess um, they had that Anthony Bourdain yes, show, but I guess I never watched it on CNN. So there's that. So this the show is called Stanley Tucci's Italy. There are six episodes. Four of the episodes were recorded before the pandemic. And then there were two that recorded after the pandemic or during the pandemic, more accurately. Yeah. As he's traveling around Italy. And eating, he goes to Naples, he goes to Tuscany, he goes to Rome, he goes to Campania. I was just thinking about like all of the amazing food experiences I personally have had in Italy. And I was getting this just wanderlust of, oh my, I need to get back to Italy. Yeah. And part of the reason... I'll just, I'm going to be just like naked honest here. Do it. When I travel, a lot of times I'm sort of embarrassed about coming back and talking about like the experiences because it's a pretty privileged thing to be able to fly to Italy, be in a 36 foot sailboat with your husband and go to these Italian islands and have these experiences that most people can't have. Right. So I usually tell a little bit about the stories and I don't come on the air and just like lay it all out. Because I feel a little sheepish about the fact that I've had this opportunity, even though I don't know why, but I do. So well, it is. It, well, I mean, I think sometimes it does feel. I mean, like that's just the whole thing of like everybody's got this great glamorous life, and then you know they put it out there as like, and it it does. It's hard for people. Yeah, and I don't want people to think that I'm just like some weird old braggart who just no, talks about all not. the places. You're just she's sharing done. the fun things. However, however, as I watched this, I was like. I just would like to tell people if there's a lot of cool places in Italy to go to. And if you get a chance, going to Italy can be lots of things. It can be like this Tuscan countryside experience where you're staying in a farmhouse. And a lot of these farmhouses were built in the 1800s. They're not like necessarily glamorous places. Right. But they're rustic and they're beautiful in their setting in the countryside. And you can stay in these places that literally the inn owners are serving you their wine, making you a fresh peach from their orchard for breakfast with a little bit of yogurt that they've made. 
you can just have like the most simple food in these settings that is so lovely. But you can also go and you can go to Rome and just the amount of food that you can get in Rome, the pizzas, the pastas. And one of the things that has happened is there's um, this distinction that they give in Italy that they call it um, the capital of culture. And they pick a city that becomes the capital of culture for the year. Mm -hmm. And then they move this designation around. And one of the places that got this designation just recently is the island of Prashida. And Prashida is the place where uh, the talented Mr. Ripley was filmed. Do you remember that movie? Love that movie. It, It is in the Amalfi Coast. And it is just this gorgeous, beautiful town. And... We sailed there and there's a like if you can imagine in the Roman times, a lot of these islands were used for farming. And so this island of Prashida, there's eel pens that are built in the water with rocks. And there's like eel caves where they farmed eels for food. Yeah. And then it's a fish ish. Yeah. And then on the other side of the island, because it's a very rocky island, is this gigantic cliff. And on in in the island where they have the eel pens is where the harbor is. And it's a very busy harbor. So you can't necessarily just sail your boat right in and throw an anchor and hang out. You a lot of times have to go outside of the island and then you dinghy into the different places. Mm-hmm. So we were actually anchored on the other side of the island, which is where there's this gigantic cliff where the Romans would just push their enemies off. Yeah. And so it's just like amazing. (laughs) And then they built a tunnel underneath the cliff that would go to the other side where like the markets were and the shopping. So we were parked on the side where people got pushed off this huge cliff and it's just this beautiful bay. And then we got out and dinghied over and walked through and just Italy is so amazing and so cool. Every time, and I've always wanted, this is why East Side reminds me a little bit of this Italian hospitality. Every time you go and have a drink, even if it's at the like local tavern, not anything fancy. Yeah. They give you like four things of food. Like you get a little olives. Yeah. You get a little, uh, probably a white bean that's been marinated in something. Yes. You get like a little bowl of like their pan fried house potato chips. Yes. You get like some other kind of little crispy. It might be a little frit. It might be something. It's just some little fried thing. Mm -hmm. And they give you these things when you have the national drink of Italy, which is Campari. What are you saying? It's the um, the. Oh, I'm totally drawing a blank. Stephanie. Yes. No, the orange. Orange with sparkling wine. Aperol spritz? Thank you. Okay. I'm like, there's so many. <laughs> like, sounds like, looks like. Let's be clear, too. It is a regional thing. Like, Italy is a massive country, and, like, the area that you're in, yes. and you're saying one thing, is not what it is everywhere else. Because it's on the coast. Right. And Italy is a small country, but it's massive in the different diverse regions. Yeah, it is a tribal. If you want to think about it like that from way, way back, it's very tribal. And Sardinia and, you know, Calabrians and Sicilianos, it's not the same. It's also really expressed in the different islands and also in the coast and inland in the pastas that they make. Yeah. Because they make different pastas totally. based on, like, is it going with fish? Because when you eat on the oh, coast, totally. you're definitely just eating fish. When you're eating inland, that's where you have, you know, the bistecca and the uh, yeah. the buffalo de mozzarella. Yeah. And the literal buffalo that they're making. We went to a buffalo mozzarella um, farm 
and yeah. watched them make the cheese. And yeah. it's just such a beautiful country in so many different ways that you can experience it. It's funny that we, I'm just going back to the pasta thing where you're saying the pasta shapes and how in America we don't think about it in any other way than, oh, this is another shape. Like we go into our bucatini moments and then we go into our, you know, ravioli and then we think about we don't think about the the function of it all. And yet there really is a lot of function per why things are shaped as they are, you know, or and, like why, like what the history is and all that kind of stuff. And what the sauce is that you're serving it with. And Do you have it, a, a book, a favorite cookbook for it? That, like, do you have a ravi or a pasta shaped book that you recommend or no? No, I don't either. I, I was just trying to think. I have this um, how to cook Italian book that is the definitive <laughs> book about Italian cooking. Well, just Marcella like Harzan, you know, and she is one of the most famous chefs to come out of there. And she's got a lot of her and Lydia Bastianich, I think. Bastianich. Bastianich, thank you. Have a lot of heritage <clears throat> recipes. Um, so just to kind of, I, I know I'm circling all over the place here, but I just wanted <laughs> to talk about Italy yeah. and how beautiful it is. And if you get a chance to go, like Rome in and of itself is a seven day trip easily with all the stuff you can see, all the food you can eat, Stanley Tucci. And I think this is just, I'm kind of obsessed with him and you got me obsessed with him early on because you watched big night. Yeah. And that's you 100%. made the timpano. Yeah. I always, I, I, in fact, spring is when I start to think about timpano and he made is, it like we made it Easter time. I make it make during it one Easter. Year? Yeah. So that's the thing is like, I think about it now and now that I've got my, and now that I am so pro at my, uh, my own pasta, my fresh pasta game, like, I've made so many raviolis and tortellinis over the pandemic. I feel like I am not going to try to do penne for sure, but I can make the sheets that then envelop my timpano, which I'm excited for. Which sounds delicious. Yes. So Stanley Tucci was married. He had three kids and they're all adults. And his wife died of breast cancer in 2009. Mm. So he's at um, Emily Blunt's wedding. And to he, John Krasinski. To John Krasinski in Lake Como. Oh. And he meets Emily Blunt's sister. Oh, right. Felicity. And they're now married. Oh. And he has a two-year-old and a four-year-old. He's 60 years old. He's like reinvented his life. Well, he's a... Co- and all the cocktails he's shaking online. Yes. Got the everybody's off. Okay. So to wrap this up, watch the CNN show. Also, I'm going to have Hope Link. There's a show that's on YouTube called Pasta Grannies. Oh, I have that book. And you got to watch it. Everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, we are being joined right now by Craig Kaiser. Are you there, Craig? I am here. Thank you. you welcome are, to the program. Craig Kaiser is, of course, the uh, the namesake, the founder, the chief pepper pickler from Crybaby <laughs> Craig's Hot Sauce. Is that correct? Uh, mm, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know, we are obvious devotees of your hot sauce. We do love Crybaby Craig's. We've talked about it quite a bit on the show. And I think you've been on the show before, haven't you? Um, no, this is my first time. <gasps> oh, and, my uh, gosh. It's been, Weird. Yeah. It's, okay. It's well. been fun all morning long. I've been having my moments of, like, you know, Ron Burgundy quotes. Oh, gosh. And <laughs> voice checks. Yeah. Well, just don't swear, okay? I... I also thought that as well. <laughs> I did too. Wasn't it Jack Rabel that swore? Yeah, it actually was Jack who stood, it had he and Mike Brown, and it was Jack Rabel who swore. And then I was like, ah! The dump button! And yeah. I had to hit the dump button. So, another Not shout gonna out. lie, I was a little concerned about it, but um, I'm just thinking good thoughts today. Okay, keep it clean. <laughs> we love it. 
So good thoughts are a great thing to be thinking because what we're talking about today is the release of a new hot sauce that you have. And yeah. uh, I wrote a little bloggy blog about it, and it's called Hailfire Hot Sauce. And it all started because in August of 2020, there was a giant hailstorm. And so tell us a little bit about that. Um, I, I want to say, yeah, it was August 10th. Woke up, uh, Dana from Sogan Valley Farms, uh, you know, reached out. Obviously, his first text I wasn't awake for. It was, you know, maybe pre-6 a.m. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as I saw it, I, I kind of panicked and reached out. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm I'm really not sure the uh, full devastation of it. But you're definitely going to want to start looking around for a new outlet, you know. And, and just to be clear, I mean, this, you know, they have a pretty large farm and they grow a lot more than just hot peppers yeah. you know they do bell peppers for large accounts tomatoes herbs lettuces so it was a it was a huge loss for more than just one reason yeah you said that he you told me that so this so this hailstorm comes through cannon falls well it came through southern minnesota and it wiped out mm-hmm. you know a lot of crops and he you told me that in like 90 seconds he lost over a hundred thousand dollars worth of produce which is I sort mean, of, it, it, it's it's a pretty good guesstimation that's for sure yeah. i mean i could look 360 and see things blown over <sighs> um obviously the bigger the fruit the more noticeable the damage. Yeah. But, you know, like kohlrabi and, and like, um, all kinds of other lettuces, you just seeing them pounded into the ground. I mean, it was, it was pretty sad, Yeah, you know, and you could, you could hear, you could hear the loss. Not only you could just see the loss and hear the loss in his voice. So I don't know how, I don't know how your heart doesn't break right then and there in that moment. Right. And so you said, you were standing down there and you were kind of hanging out and you were like, how about if I take some of it, right? I mean, like, the idea that there was a way to save mm-hmm. some part of it? Yeah. Well, you know, I definitely didn't go down there with an intent. Right. You know, it was basically panic. <laughs> and then, and then you know, you're just thinking on your feet. And it was a scenario of just watching one of the tractors go by. And you see this tote just filled to the top. And that's when I asked him, you know, what are you going to do with all this? And he said compost. I think it made it, you know, sting that much more because of how long they had already been working the crops. I mean, these guys start seeding in February, you know, just to try to cope with Minnesota um, seasons, you know, so they're, they're working a lot longer than anyone ever really imagines. Right. So it didn't make sense to just let it go back into the ground. You know, I mean, they had put months and months of energy and effort into it. I mean, we all owed it to them to at least try. Right. Right. And I love what you said about how Crybaby Craig's sauce was an accident and how this is an accident. And maybe there's something good that can come out of it. That really rung true to me because I think once you have that perspective, I think that's that makes all the difference. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was true. And those words truly did come out of my mouth. You know, I mean, it's. I I am extremely thankful for it day in and day out. I mean, I I can't emphasize enough that uh, you know, the company was basically an accident and you know, it's just being in the pocket and realizing that you never know what opportunities are going to come your way. You just have to be ready for them and uh you never know what's going to what obstacles are going to come in your way. You just have to be ready for them and 
it, it truly was just, you know, a moment of trying to salvage um, something that you didn't want to see just go to waste. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, Craig? It, it, what strikes yeah. me about you is so many local chefs and local food people just really go on and on and on about how delicious your hot sauce is. And I know that it's a fermented sauce. Why do you think your your sauce appeals so much to the food lovers? Um, I mean, I, I honestly give 100% to the process. You know, I keep it simple. There's like five ingredients, you know. <laughs> Um, and it, it truly is everything I fought for, you know, I mean, when this all happened, you don't really know what you're doing. Right. And, um, you know, when you start reaching out to food manufacturers and you're like, Hey, this is how I do it. And everyone you talk to is like, well, you can't do it like that. Yep. You know, you're you're like, well, I don't know why I can't, but I'm pretty confident that I can, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so then you start digging for answers and and the deeper I got, the more I realized that everything is just so streamlined and it's easy to just go with the flow because it's such an unknown world, you know, and it's scary. So why would anyone want to go against the stream? And, uh, well, I don't know. I guess I like things difficult, I suppose. So, (laughs) Which is kind of how a lot of chefs are too, actually. They want to take the long way well you know i couldn't accept it for an answer because essentially this is what i was told i said hey can i can i process this in a manner to where i'm not pasteurizing and uh applying heat to it and bluntly as can be i was told no and when i asked why the reasoning that i was told was because no one's doing it (laughs) that is what i was told yeah so then it almost became spiteful yeah you know like that's your answer. Yeah, I'm gonna do me. this. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and it took. It was about 19, 18, 19 months of uh, field studies um, with two different universities, and then I finally had enough data, and I, I approached the FDA back with the data and said, "Listen, this is legit, and uh, it sounds like I'm gonna be the first. <laughs> I so, love it. And I can tell you right now, when I went, I you know because there's a lot of crazy science behind it. It's so simple, yeah. but there's so much going on. And so I've tried to further my education with it. And I I took it to uh, UW Stout and I took some microbiology classes over there. And let me tell you, if you have a hunkering to feel really, really stupid, (laughs) you should go take some of those classes. I've never seen words so big in my life. Um, But I show the, I show the professor my, um, my process and I'll have to be careful not to swear here because I, I'm not kidding. He did. He was like, this is genius. You know, he's like, of all of the hundreds of companies I've overseen, because there's there's companies dealing with fermentation in the bottle where sure. they're essentially turning into bombs sitting on the shelf. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there's all kinds of um, critical errors that happen. And he's looking at it and he's like, I cannot believe no one has come to market doing this process. Yeah. And I, I can tell you right now, it's probably because you would have to basically tell the FDA, like, no, I don't believe you. I'm yeah. going to seek out my own answer. <laughs> it, it takes so, a cook. I mean, I think it does take a line cook, you know, to say, yeah. like, eh, maybe not. Is Hailfire different than Crybaby Craig's, and how is it different? Well, and first off, you know, thanks 
Miss March for those kind words yesterday. Yeah. Um, she really hit it on the head with the vegetal aspect. It is. It is. Um, there's, if, if you look on the bottle, um, I broke it down on what peppers um, I received from the farm. Essentially, I didn't know what I was going to get. I said, just wash it and give me whatever you want me to utilize. Yeah. So you took like and, two of uh, those big loader buckets and you filled up 40, you said you filled up four or five, 45, 55 gallon drums and you had no idea what yeah, those I were going to be. There was, there was probably about 1,200 pounds of stuff that I took. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could have been endless, but I knew that I, I have to say no at some point. Right. You know? Right. And I was like, well, I think this is a good starting point. Let me take 1,200 pounds. Yeah. You know, and like 700 pounds of it is like bell peppers. Yeah. So it's like, oh, so, all right. Which is not yeah. something that, you know, the, it, like Crybaby Cry Craig's is that bright orange habanero yes. looking sauce. Yep. This is a jar of black sauce. Mm-hmm. Huh. Like it's not the same at all. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, I, um, go ahead. It, it, it's, it's not the same. It, I think it starts off kind of like this, almost like an apple cidery kind yeah. of twang. Yum. Although I don't use apple cider vinegar. I think it's just a combination between the pickle and the sweet bell peppers. Yum. And it definitely does have a little bit of a bite, you know, from the scotch bonnet and serranos. And it's it's got a little smokiness to it. I mean, all in all, it I would have to say it doesn't suck. I really, I really liked it. And I was, you know, we are in our house, CBC aficionados. Like, we are devotees. Like, that is the hot sauce that gets emptied the most. But mm-hmm. I have to say, this was, I and Jake and I put it on our chili cheese burrito, and we put it on a bunch of stuff the other night. We dipped some ribs in it. It was, it, it had a lovely bit of roundness that I wasn't expecting. I'm looking forward and to I it. And I was yeah. excited about it. So here's the deal, you guys. So this hot sauce, Hail Fire Hot Sauce, is going to be available at Lunds and Byerly's. Was starting when, Craig? Uh, March 4th, I believe is a Thursday. Okay, okay, so next Thursday, it's going to be available. It's going to be on the shelves. It's exclusive to Lunds and Byerly's. Great. And it's six ninety nine a bottle, and all of the proceeds are going back to the Sogan Family Farm, right? It is. And, you know, since I have a chance, if you don't mind, I do want to say thank you to the people over at Lunds and Byerly's. Yeah. I've, I got a lot of messages last night, like, why are you doing it exclusively with one person? And the truth is, it's just simplicity. It is. You know, the the idea wasn't to just go nuts with this. It was to get it to the people as fast as possible to get the funds back to where they need to go. That's right. excellent. And so thanks again to Lunds and Byerly's for partnering with me. They're doing this absolutely for free yeah as well this is the deal like it is nobody's making money it's all going back to the farms i love it it's a limited release bottle you guys so once it's gone there is no more of this so just remember maybe go and buy like seven bottles of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure too one to eat one to one to save to be like hey remember when all right craig we gotta go but we'll have you back on next time you have a cool sauce we gotta talk about thank you Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. I okay. really appreciate Talk it. To you later. Heading out to Lunds and Byerly's to get this sauce. And we're going to take a break. If you're listening to us and you're pouring yourself a Palomino made with Hornitos tequila, that's all good. We'll see you in a minute. 651-641-1071. It is time for the Ask Stephanie portion of the show. 651-641-1071. This is where we take your calls live. If you want to tell us about some great takeout you had this week or you want to ask about Bucatini and share the favorite sauce 
I met a woman the other day. She was like, I finally had Bucatini. Oh, wow. <laughs> kind of made me laugh. Wow. Um, I did find it at Target, and it's not as good as... The Target brand is not as good as, like, the uh, the, the Checo stuff. Okay. I'll be with you. All right. So, wow. That is a review of Bucatini right there. Where right do you get there. that besides the Weekly Dish? Nowhere. Nowhere? We are in the top two segment going to do a little uh, Girl Scout taste test with the Toast Yay... The French toast inspired cookies dipped in delicious icing. I have not seen, I've not run across any uh, Girl Scouts yet oh, selling cookies. Well, my niece Skylar would well, be happy people, to help you. People say that they're like, oh, they're waiting outside of the speedways. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I would welcome our Girl Scout overlords to approach me with your cookie boxes. Okay. So if you see Steph March That's in right. her long coat, make sure that I'm you in. accost her and sell her some cookies. I need some thin mints. They need to get in my freezer now. That's right. 651 641 Hope is there waiting for your calls. Okay, here's a question that came in on the internets. Yes. Those crazy things. Hi, I'm sorry to bother you and can't describe this well, but a dish you were talking about recently had feta. Something about how easy it was and so good and how many people have been trying it. And I know it's not much to go on, but do you remember? Thank you in advance. Which, what is it? The the, the feta cherry tomato thing? Yes, that's what it is. <sighs> And this is a dish where it's cherry tomatoes dumped into a pan. Have you done this? No, I've done it. I've done it a million ways before this. Boy, so are they saying that this makes a creamy pasta? Yes, which not is not like true. full cream. It's just creamy in its unctuousness, but there'll still be chunks of feta. It's not like it's pureed cream. It just so seems weird to me because that's it's that that cheese doesn't break down at all. Really, I mean, it gets watery. No, but... it does a little. It does a little bit. And I think if you're so the the recipe is that you have a baking dish, you throw your cherry tomatoes in there, you throw a little olive oil, salt and pepper, you put a hunk of feta cheese in the middle of the baking dish and you bake it. I want to say at 375. I'm just making this up because that's what I would do. And then maybe put a little thyme, a little oregano, whatever your herbs are. And then the tomatoes break down into the olive oil and the feta, it doesn't melt, but it, it doesn't does. melt. It's a high, it's, it can't melt. Okay. So you have to look at it though. Look okay. online. There's a million recipes. This got popular on TikTok, and people have been making it and people no, like I it because it's a making, one pot. Yeah. Sitch. Well, uh, my big thing with it is, I mean, and I'm not, <laughs> it's just really weird to me the way that these things go viral and I know. that it becomes like, I'm, I'm almost uncomfortable with the fact like, that something can happen and then everybody in the world, it's like, it's a little too homogenized. This is the journalist in you, huh? I, well, it's actually just the cook, too, where I sort of feel like, why are we all doing the exact same thing? Because I think there are a large contingency of people that don't think like we think about food. And if it's not a recipe or something that they've seen, it doesn't occur to them to like, hey, you could probably roast cherry tomatoes. and No, no, no. I mean, I'm not discounting like... Un- tried cooks i i get it like i get it it's just the weirdness of and this is maybe the cultural aspect of it more than anything then regardless of the recipe that it's also not i mean like regardless of that it's the weird thing that then if this goes viral through people then it's it's like all of a sudden then every food person has to make it to prove it's either good or not good like to me that's that weird spe- space and actually that we're just talking about it right and now don't you think proof. of course it's good it's just tomatoes it's, yes. and feta, I mean, it's feta. And i'm just saying it's great i just don't have this drive to have to make it you know what i mean I guess that's my weird thing. It was like, not because other people are making it. If it looks like a delicious dish to you, make it. For now sure. I think, Stephanie, you need to post one that you like. 
one because there's what? people that are listening they're gonna be like recipe question mark recipe they're gonna want to make it i mean i here's my thing with feta bake your feta and then you pour like romasco sauce over the top like a beautiful oh, and red pepper like walnutty kind of sauce over the top and um and then you and then you just eat it like that <laughs> you know what else you can do straight feta people um spread it on some bread you can do this with goat cheese so same exact well, that thing. That will give you a creamy thing. Feta has a high salt content and it's got an acidity. It won't. It crumbles. It's a grainy pasta. So just don't expect it to be creamy. It's not. It's okay. grainy exactly like you said. There's chunks of it, but it is melty-ish. It makes kind of like a pink sauce, which, you know, do you want pink sauce? Mm, but it's just still going to be grainy. Yeah. It's sort of like. Like just to be clear. Curdled milkish looking kind of. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound very appetizing, but it does taste good. No, and I mean, I eat feta. I eat feta every week. Like, I have feta in my fridge all the time, and I have noticed that some of the feta blocks are missing. Sold out. I did notice when I went to France 44 last weekend to find my Ruby Wild State Cider that I had as my top two. Uh, It was gone. The shelves were bare. I could not find it. And I went right after the show. And the guy, I go, well, where do you have any more of this? He's like, no, there's been like a run on it today. I'm like, yeah, I might be responsible for that. And it's all gone. I did. I had a great experience at France 44. And I thought of you, Stephanie, because I know you like them so much. Yeah. And I bought lamb asabuco, which was very delicious. And then I bought the beans, which what kind of beans did I buy? They're the beans that you use in cassoulet, and I have oh, no idea. Oh, you bought idea. the tarbay beans. Yes, and he was telling me about these beans, and they have really thin skins. I was like, oh, I love beans. I'll cook these. Yeah. And then I posted it, and you were like, those are the cassoulet beans. Those are the beans. Yeah. No, I love those cassoulet beans. And they're hard to find, and people who are looking to make, uh, you know, like real and true cassoulet, they look for those tarbay beans, and it's T-A-R-B-I B-A-I-S, if you're looking for them still. And so you're saying that they're at France 44. Yes, they okay. are. And they're up at the counter there. Yeah. That's a great little store. They've got the meat market. They've got tons of sauces. They had lots of prepared meals that um, I think a lot of people are just so tired of cooking. They're just getting so, like burned out. <laughs> we had So it was restaurant week, you know, and we went out for lunch. Uh, I went, I, Durish and I went out for lunch to, we haven't seen each other in a long time. And, and we're at Nico's Taco Bar in, um, Uptown, which is great. And it's a fun space. But because Durish has been doing all those videos of like him making cocktails and everything else, the owner thought it would be funny to like have him make his own salsa and do all this kind of stuff. And it was fun. And it was funny. And I had a little video of it on my uh, Instagram. But then they're like, okay, now do you guys want to come back and make your own margaritas? And I'm like, hello. I have been making my own drinks for a year, and I am out. I would like someone professionally to please make me a drink. That is all I want. I just want someone to make me a drink. Top two in our taste test when we come back.